Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is Serbi Mahendru. Serbi is a strategy and operations leader with previous experience leading high-visibility projects, programs, and teams at companies like Zappos, Amazon, and Nike during times of early and accelerated growth. With a passion for fitness and wellness, Serbia has founded a corporate wellness program for her company and co-founded networking forums for sports and health tech professionals. A creator at heart, with experience across several industries, Serbi enjoys advising startups and small business owners today in scaling their direct-to-consumer businesses. Welcome, Serbi. Thanks, Eloisa. Happy to be here. Excited to have you. So let's get started. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, um, I I like to say that I have like a day job and a night job. So um, I'd say by day, you'll find me doing um, work for companies during early and high growth. Uh, when it, Usually you'll find me in the retail e-commerce space, but I've also served as a consultant working for companies across several industries. Um, my night job, so to speak, is, you know, I have a personal passion for fitness and wellness. So that's where at any given time in my career, um, you'll find me getting certified as a personal trainer and working nights at the gym, or you'll see me starting up um, a sports networking community in at what point was uh, downtown Las Vegas, or one day I decided I'd start um, trying to build a corporate wellness program for my company. So I've kind of taken this really interesting curvy or windy path in my career where I love to do the work um, that I do as a digital leader, but I also love to be able to drive, um, to not only dive deep into what the wellness space with clients um, independently, but also to take a lot of those best practices and utilize them in the workplace. And I think a lot of it stems from when I was young. I mean, for me, my passion for fitness and wellness came from being a basketball player and wanting more out of it, and then running track and wanting more out of that. And then um, realizing that for me, I found fitness and being in the gym as a place for creativity. So just for me, the gym is like my playground. And then also just uh, using it to keep me mentally sane uh, during times of high stress. So um, just kind of here now and continuing down this windy path and uh, trying to bring those two worlds together. Oh my goodness. There's so much to unpack here. And I think one, I didn't realize that you were involved with sports as a child. And I think that it, there's so much power behind this because ultimately you're able to now unlock this, not only competitive nature in yourself, but almost this mentality that you don't want to stick to the status quo, right? You're always wanted to challenge. You're always wanted to innovate. And what's wonderful about the the non-linear yet wonderfully non-linear path that you've taken professionally is that as a strategist, as you're advising companies, as you're advising small business owners into creating these astronomical projects and transforming their businesses, you name it, you really do have to think in that that same mentality where you're not necessarily stuck to one specific type of mindset. You're not stuck to one specific type of, of like methodology or process. You're always thinking innovatively. And I think along those lines, I'd love to tap into more of your kind of strategic strategy background. There's a million ways that we can go about this too, because when we think about strategy and how it relates to business success and business growth, we're starting to see how technology and digital um, is really set up as a resource and tool to help continue, not only help continue businesses scale, but be able to sustain that growth. 
So I'm curious, in your perspective, um, are there any methods, platforms, frameworks that you have seen in the scene that has made the most impact for organizations, especially as they're preparing for even some sort of digital transformation? You know, um, I think if you had asked me this question maybe earlier on in my career, I would have wanted to give you a, a like a list of tools, and I can definitely do that today. Um, you know, thinking about when you're organizing, storing, or collaborating content with others, you have tools like Airtable, Box. Another favorite of mine is Quip. When you're thinking about analytics, um, you have another slew of tools. Um, honestly, my favorite is Excel. And then using things like Tableau for data visualization. When you think about communication, right? Slack is definitely a game changer for many reasons, but you also have up and coming forums or places to store um, educational content for an organization like Discord or Notion. For me, I, I don't really think that way anymore. Um, I think a lot about the ways in which we can work better and, and more nimbly, or that's a word, in a more nimble way. And so honestly, if I were to pick one tool, I would say, especially if you're a new business, I would just start with Google. You've got Google Drive, you've got Google Docs, you've got Google Sheets, you've got Google Analytics. And if you're you know, starting down the paid marketing path, you're going to have Google AdWords as well. So I think for me, that's definitely a place where I do a lot of my own personal work. I also have used it at the enterprise level. And then when it comes to certain methods or methodologies, for me, um, I would say that, again, had you asked me this years ago, I probably would have kind of completely dismissed the idea of being agile. Um, I was a consultant at one point for, you know, I was in a technology consulting firm uh, working with other tech teams at companies to really go from waterfall to agile approaches. And I thought, well, this is so boring. I mean, agile is just like, you know, there's all been all these different kinds of methodologies that have come out in the past. So I get certified in two days and become this agile expert. Now I teach people how to go agile. And for me, it just felt like a bunch of, it just felt like, it felt like I was blowing hot air. But to be really honest with you, I look back now and I'm so grateful that I've earned, I've learned that skill set because I do apply it in what I do personally, but also professionally. And whether you use it as a more, um, uh, as as like a by the book skill set or or set of mechanisms, um, or you just think about kind of the basic principles that agile really has to do with. It's about thinking about you know creating lean teams, uh, thinking about how to work iteratively, uh, finding the right people in the room to have like a cross functional team, and then testing and learning based on what the consumer wants, so that you can you can push out a win or two that will really kind of drive value for them. And I think when you're thinking about technology, technology is not something that you add to a business anymore. And fitness, for example, in the wellness space is not, it's not about creating the next digital solution. It's now an enabler, like technology is everywhere. So it doesn't matter what industry you're working in, you just have to understand how it works. Even if you don't understand these tools on a, uh, you know, tool by tool basis, you have to understand how to solve problems and think with a digital mindset. Mm. So what's wonderful about your thought process is that I think we kind of mentioned it early on in your background about uh, advising small, small startups and small and mid-sized businesses. But at the end of the day, when you think reflecting back of the, the kind of like thought process, the framework that you follow, it ultimately could be applied across all age groups or kind of all stages of growth in a company. Because regardless, even if you are in a more mature, established organization, 
in order to continue and sustain that that type of success, you have to continuously innovate. And it could be in, in varying ways, right? It could be in a, not necessarily in such a massive digital transformation, for lack of better words, but you are continuously looking and evolving. You're using the same principles that you just mentioned, reiterating, checking with the customer to make sure that it is something that is a, is a value and is of need for them. Um, and you kind of go along the way. Is that right? Yeah. I think whether you're doing this for your own personal uh, goals and achievements, you are a small or local business, or you are some large uh, corporate entity, you can apply those types of principles in any of those situations. And so, you know, I actually had a um, friend say to me the other day, this is kind of related. He's a senior director of analytics. And he said, there's so many people today, you know, with you know, touting kind of their big data skill set. I just want someone who can go in, take a, write a very simple query, dump the data in Excel and build a graph and build it in such a way that tells the insight that's digestible to an executive leader. That's it. And that's the skill that I learned probably 12 years ago in my career. But today everyone's talking about, you know, all the different types of things you can do in the the big data and analytics space. And while that's all really helpful, some of those basics are what you need to start with, especially if you are um, looking to be more nimble. So I, I just, I kind of reiterate, you know, thinking about even if you're not a technology team or if you're not in an analytics space and you're in on the business side, finding a way to create small working groups with each person in that working group representing a different function um, allows you to kind of have your own, you know, some people might, um, I just read an article the other day about uh, micro enterprises. So creating micro enterprises within a large company or in, you know, in the tech space, in a tech team, you might call it a scrum team, but having a small group of uh, people that each, where each leader represents a different function and can weigh in and also do it in such a way that you're driving towards a problem that is consumer focused, that allows you to then also focus on a solution that can be iterated upon. If you think about today when you have one marketing team or one operations team or one analytics team and they're all working with each other, but they're not gaining input from those other functions, that's when you tend to incur a lot of debt in the work that you're doing because you haven't had a chance to either pilot something sooner or test it with the consumer. Mm, that's really insightful. And I think there's a way that too, I'm curious if, if the same kind of thought process can be applied on the other way around. And what I mean by that is you were reflecting on your own personal passions, which is going to be the health, wellness, and, fit and fitness space. Um, and I may be biased too, because that's exactly my, my passion as well. Goodness, dedicate my entire career to this industry. But you know, I think this industry is so incredibly unique and has evolved in so many different ways, especially over the past couple of years. Um, more specifically, we're starting to see this incredibly beautiful rise in the very modalities, the multi-dimensions of the connected fitness space, the fitness space, the health and wellness space. And now we're starting to unlock the power of 
varying modalities, right? At home cycling, Pilates, strength training, meditation, all of these incredible different opportunities now that consumers have to be able to tap into the health and wellness space without the traditional thought process or formerly traditional thought process of just going to a gym for 30 minutes. Um, it's so much more than that, which is great. So I'm curious then, in your perspective, uh, what should brands consider whenever they are engaging with consumers who actually may be completely new to the fitness sector? Yeah, um, I think of kind of two ways to answer this question. So firstly, I've seen a lot of startups start and fail, or like I mentioned, go so far down into uh, tech debt or other types of debt um, where they're eating up their investments only to have to start over again when they discover that whatever it is that they were building, the problem they thought were solving, they thought they were solving, isn't actually a problem the consumer finds important to solve. And so first and foremost, I think we have to ask the consumer what they want. Um, we're in a time right now where the fitness and wellness industry is trending at a $5 trillion, $4.5 to $5 trillion industry. We could go and build something and just hope that they come. But that doesn't really solve the problems um, that, you know, as someone who's really passionate about the industry uh, needs to be solved. So then, then you're just trying to build a thing or build a wearable or build a product that, you know, just to get another piece of that market share. And I think you have to continue to check in with the consumer. Um, the second thing, and I think, you know, a little bit more specific to the fit tech space is I think it's important to know what kind of audience you're working with and what their intended use of the product is. So I'm not just talking about knowing their gender or their age, but also their interests, behaviors, and attitudes. Are these consumers uh, you know, that you're running into or that you're targeting, are they looking to lose weight? Or is their goal actually to train for a sport? Or are they really just here to have fun and make some friends along the way? Because each of those intentions could drive a different kind of solution or different kind of offering for them. And so, you know, the, the additional factors will really depend on the type of solution you're building. But I think those are some of the things you have to know first. Um, you know, also for consumers who are new to connected fitness or to new to the fitness industry generally, I think what I'm noticing, this is maybe more of a very specific to certain products that I've been experimenting with is we forget that again, if they are new, there are certain things that if you were to join a gym or work with a personal trainer for the first time, you would have to go through and be cleared for before you do any type of activity. And so making sure that we're providing the right assessments to gauge their range of motion, their target heart rate, um, and then using that information and as well as their intentions behind why they're interested in um, pursuing something like a fitness product or service, um, those are going to be really important um, before you can even dive in and decide what types of cues and content to provide them. Um, and then lastly, what kind of comes to mind is those cues are going to be important, again, depending on what their intentions are, um, to not only show them how to do something, but to show them or explain to them why they should be doing something. So a lot of people that are new to the fitness and wellness space, they're new because they haven't found their why yet. And if they haven't found their why yet, and we're just telling them to take on a 30-minute run, and they don't know why a 30-minute run is helpful for them, and you haven't given the chance to explain to them that 30 minutes of aerobic exercise can actually tap into 
their glycogen store and reduce uh, fat, you know, uh, that, that might not really resonate with them. Um, they might just not want to do the run. So that's where, or if you explain to them that it actually increases your endorphins and the run would allow you to engage with your friends, then that again, gives them more of a purpose and reason to engage than to just say, Hey, hit play and start your run now by yourself. Um, when really what you wanted to do is be with your friends in the first place. So I'm rambling a little bit, but I think the point is you have to know what, who your consumer is and what their intention is. And then also based on where they are in their journey, make sure that you're providing them with the right tools and assessments, as well as giving them kind of a more of an understanding as to why what you're offering them is important based on what their intention is in the first place. Mm. See, all of this is incredibly refreshing because I think when we look at the grand scheme of things in the health and wellness industry, the reality of it is right now, I think the latest statistic is that we've only captured 20% of Americans and having them affiliated to an actual health and fitness solution. So now we're, we're now exposing ourselves or now we have the opportunity to expose ourselves to the larger masses who currently isn't affiliated with some sort of health and wellness solution at the moment. And the way that you've described almost the, the kind of like different ways that we can continue engaging with newer consumers, you actually really touch on more of the psychographics versus the demographics. And I think that's a really great way to be able to start not only just gaining the interest of those who may be newer to the health and wellness sector, but actually keeping them inspired and letting them know that it actually is something that's more customizable and geared towards their needs, talking about their why, as you just mentioned. So along those lines, when we're thinking about those untapped consumers, what are your perspectives on perhaps any specific trends? Is Do you, do you think there's any specific way that we can start getting them more intrigued of coming on or starting their own health and wellness journey? So when you think about the new fitness and wellness solutions we have today, and as you mentioned previously, the fact that a lot of these are technology enabled or driven, um, I think what we have to keep in mind is if a consumer is new to the industry, whether they're new to tech or they're just new to fitness, um, they there needs to be like a little bit of brand awareness or industry awareness in this case. So you need to kind of bridge that gap to help make them aware of why they should be entering that industry in the first place. So I'm thinking about even before they download the app or try the new wearable, how do you reach out to them in the first place? Um, and what kind of comes to my mind is I don't, I don't know, but I, I know that, gen, well, what I do know is that the Gen Z population is definitely fitter than the other generations we have right now. That being said, um, the younger side of the Gen Z population, so people that are probably in middle school and high school right now, they're spending a lot of their time in isolated spaces. And so when I think about what kind of solutions we might want to, you know, instill or, or implement for them, that's where I think about either the, the solutions that are out there right now could be re-leveraged to target them um, and to allow them to try something new and build that community that they need. Or um, it could be, uh, let's say, uh, solutions that can be integrated into their, their, not just at home, but also like in school, for example, in their PE class or in their school sports. Um, and so, you know, obesity starts really young. And I think that that's where we have an opportunity to really work with the youth in 
um, and, and actually leverage some of this innovation for that population. The other population that comes to mind or other segments, so to speak, of the fitness wellness space is women's health. Um, I think we've already started to tap into women's health. Um, you know, I th if I remember correctly, we're, we're trending to be a $50 billion, it's trending to be a $50 billion industry um, over the next few years. Uh, the one thing I think that's still tricky is, unfortunately, I think it still lacks the luster and momentum compared to other segments of the fitness wellness space. So, you know, we've talked today about so far connected fitness, you know, mental health is definitely an area that's of interest right now. Nutrition is huge. Um, then you have areas like recovery and musculoskeletal care. And so while I think women's health has a lot of potential, it's still very early on. And I'd love to see kind of where we can continue to support women in their in their journey to wellness um, outside of, you know, what we've already just started to to tap into. Oh, my goodness. Yes, these are the exact type of conversations that we have to start having when you think about it. The health and wellness industry and its evolution has been incredible, right, to date. And it's only going to continue becoming more appealing to the masses when we're starting to uncover the many dimensions that health and wellness can ultimately provide. So kind of flipping gears a little bit over from a business perspective, because I'm curious in your eyes, for those brands that are, yes, quote unquote, health and wellness centric or are kind of creating more of this like holistic wellness lifestyle, for lack of better words, perhaps they may be more traditionally focused. What would you encourage for them to think about if, and for instance, they are wanting to consider going into more of like a digital focused, dig digital centric environment? I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but thinking about, you know, those new ways of working. So, you know, again, you have to change the business models and how people work internally before you can serve the customer in new and innovative ways. So you have to think about how to break down those silos, how to work with your uh, team members in a way that can allow you to move faster, think differently, um, tap into the consumer, understand what their intentions are. And, and in doing that, then, you know, allow for trying new and innovative ways that will capture them, um, again, where they are in that journey. So, you know, we can build the experiences that drive those personalized and, and seamless we can build the features that drive those personalized and seamless experiences that consumers are looking for, but we have to have that internal kind of um, foundation first. And, you know, when I think about a lot of my time, like I mentioned, has been in the retail space. Um, when I think about the online to offline connection that we build, you know, if you discover that your customer is more likely to convert after trying your product in person, then even if you are an e-commerce brand, you might want to have a brick and mortar presence. Um, and so maybe you try a pop-up and see if that works just so that they have a chance to get their hands on that product and, and you know, give, give it a give it a ride or give it a, you know, whatever it is. If I'm thinking about Peloton because just the other day I walked into the mall and I saw the Peloton pop-up store and it was for the first time as someone who doesn't own a Peloton yet, I definitely wanted to buy a Peloton, but I kind of wanted to buy it because my friends had it, not because I knew that it was this amazing product because I'd never really tried it myself. 
Um, I am a traditional workoutaholic. Like I will go to the gym, I will get on the spin bike and I will do what I need to do. But now if you're telling me that I, if you're trying to convince me to buy a Peloton at home, well, I, I wanted to get it because my friends had it, but I didn't really know what was the, what was so special about it outside of what I'd already seen online and, and researched about it. And so um, I see this Peloton shop, I walk in and my mind is blown. And I know Peloton is not getting a very good rep right now. Um, their, 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 their value has not been maybe as ideal as it could be in the last couple months, but I will say they've done an amazing job really setting the stage in this recent boom over the past few years in the industry and being there in person and seeing the experience for myself, looking at that screen, looking at that content, seeing the quality of that content, being able to get on that bike and give it a ride. That's when it really started to come to life for me. So kind of coming back to, you know, once we have those internal ways of working nailed down, then um, we're in parallel. That's when we start to want to think about how do we bring that online and offline experience closer together so that for the consumer, they don't feel like two disparate experiences. Mm. You know, and I think this really comes full circle too from everything that I'm hearing from you where the customer's needs, the customer's desires is truly going to be at the forefront. So with a customer's perspective in mind, I'd love to understand in your personal experience, your personal perspectives, what trends, opportunities inside health and wellness are you most excited about and why? Um, so personally, I'm a sucker for personal training. Um, as someone who's been a trainer and who's been a lifestyle coach, as someone who's also utilized a lot of those skills in the workplace, um, I believe that every coach, every trainer needs a trainer as well. And so uh, I'm really enjoying um, I'm really enjoying certain uh, startups out there right now, solutions that allow me to have a digital personal trainer. Um, I'm also a sucker for corrective exercises. So I love to go in and dissect why I have the pain that I do and figure out if maybe I can change the way my body's moving to alleviate that chronic, chronic pain for the long term. And so um, I think that's another second area that really piques my interest. And then third would be coming back to, you know, where women's health will evolve next. And so I think these are definitely areas of curiosity for me in terms of trends or opportunities in this space. I mean, I think we've already kind of touched on this and I'm hearing this, this is nothing new. I'm hearing this everywhere. Um, having those hybrid solutions, we're not going to be stuck at home for the rest of our lives. And we're not also going to have the convenience of going to physical spaces for the rest of our lives either now that we've gotten used to being at home. So how do we build those experiences that seamlessly translate from online to offline and allow us to make the best of both worlds? Um, and so once again, right, technology should be enabler. It shouldn't be um, the, the end solution. Uh, for me personally, once again, like I think less about gadgets and more about um, how technology can help me understand my body better, understand what I do better, understand how I connect to people better. And so for me, um, you know, those are the three areas that I'm curious about. And I think a hybrid, hybrid model, if you're not already doing it, then, then I think we're probably behind the ball. I completely agree. You know, you really are, are kind of centralizing this this core thesis that technology can be the connective tissue not only to create more of this digital and physical convergence but also empowers the consumer to take control of their health 
Um, I definitely want to create more of this well-rounded, well-rounded perspective too. So on the other hand, do you envision any barriers uh, when it comes to the adoption of fit tech, fitness tech, and digital health? I think the I think what's what I'm struggling with right now is this has become a very crowded market very quickly, and so the reason I have a passion for fitness and wellness is because of my own personal journey as an athlete. And then turning around and building uh, programs and communities for other people to practice a lot of the same values that I learned in being uh, in you know being an athlete. And so it it's hard for me sometimes when I see uh, this industry growing so quickly to where it's become very saturated, and the only way that you can really mark your Uh, mark your success in a saturated environment is to create more differentiation of your product. And so when I think about the biggest challenge here, it's, it's like, how do we balance differentiation with fragmentation, you know, in areas where we have new solutions that have differentiated themselves, the market starts to feel fragmented. Now as a consumer, I need 10 different apps, one to track my, one is really good at tracking my sleep. The other attracts your sleep, but tracks your you know, um, your, your heart rate better, um, during, during aerobic activity. And then the other one tracks your heart rate while you're sleeping and your other types of sleep data. Then you have, let's say your nutrition app. Then you have your other app where you're marking your trail run, but there's actually then a training app where you can tell your friends that you're doing a workout, even if it's not running based. It's like, I don't want to have 10 apps for my life. I want to have one, a one-stop shop. But then on the flip side, right, in areas where you do have that one-stop shop for fitness or wellness, and this is an area where I feel like um, a lot of uh, founder or a lot of business businesses are starting to do this for corporate wellness, for the corporate wellness space, is then you don't have the, the differentiation that you want. So if you have, let's say, a corporate wellness offering um, where you can, as an employee, come to this one place for your online therapist and your nutritional advice and your physical therapy regimen, then you probably don't have something that feels personal anymore. And so then it doesn't feel like it's really driving value. So finding the balance between the two, I think, especially in such a saturated market is what's going to be really challenging Um, and, and trying to continue to think about why we're here in the first place talking about this space. Um, when it is such a highly competitive market and it's easy to get swept up by the product and not by what it is that our consumers are looking for. Hmm. So it's almost like we're we're kind of posing the question, at what point will connected fitness be connected? And we're not seeing these these independent silos operating with one another. Somebody's going to figure it out. I, I'm really I'm really betting on it. But even even where you have connected fitness, right, or even where they maybe thinking they're building a connected platform. Maybe it's not connected fitness and how you're defining it, but like a connected platform or service, you're still going to have those gaps where now it doesn't feel personal. So personal connected fitness for the masses, right, is what we're all trying. It's it's what we're all gunning for. But um, how do we do it in a way that still feels true to 
why we entered this space in the first place, or at least why I believe in this space in the first place. You are exactly right. And the reality of it is, in order for it to be sustainable with that mind, with the, the perspective of the consumer at the forefront, it has to be personalized. You know, every single time that I get asked, like, oh, what do you think the future of fitness is? Well, I think of three things. You know, the future of fitness, it needs to be personalized, it needs to be connected, and it needs to be social. People fitness and health and wellness it shouldn't feel like such an incredible burden on people it should be something fun and people actually want to um actually something that people want to go through right well this is fantastic so i'm and now i'm wondering future facing for you personally any exciting things that we can expect from yourself oh man um i'm just looking forward to more of these conversations i'm looking forward to being able to take what i've learned in the corporate space, bring it to a place where we can uh, really fuel smaller businesses and empower women in the fitness and wellness space. And so I think, you know, I don't know how that's going to take shape this year. Well, I do partially know how that's going to take shape this year. Um, but I'll, I would just say stay tuned um, and looking forward to, you know, connecting with you again, Eloisa, as well as other people um, that are listening in. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on this show once in the next couple of months. That way we can really start diving into a couple different interesting perspectives. But um, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur or executive, what would you share with them? This one is near and dear to me. After, um, after I'd say a lot, the last couple of years, I've been through some really interesting career changes. And I'd say that um, what comes to mind is two things. One, don't let anyone stick you in a lane you don't want to be in. And two, whatever you're thinking, think bigger. Um, I can't take credit for the second one, um, but <laughs> uh, I would say that Tony Shea had said that once, and I'm sure many other people have said it too. Um, but I, I think that's something, both of those pieces are, are pieces that I've really leaned on in the past couple years um, and have helped me kind of see my way as a, as a female in this space. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you, Serbi, for your time. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.